0: This is in the studio with Michael Card. Welcome to this week's program. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Our program always comes to you from Michael's home studio in Franklin, Tennessee. And Michael has a lot of notes and computers and everything in front of him. Today.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm so excited about what we're going to talk about. I'm ready.
0: <laughs> You're a computer person, aren't you? You've got I do. the laptop right there. I've got
1: the laptop right here. What a great resource. I have got like 52 volumes of Word Biblical Commentary. On the hard drive of this That's why
0: you're so smart.
1: Uh, That's right. That's right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Michael, here's what's ahead in the program today. In a few moments, we're going to open the Bible into the Old Testament Mm -hmm. today and study the Word here for a few moments and hear some of your music along the way. In just a few moments, we're going to be joined by Denny Denson, Pastor Denny Denson, Mm -hmm. who's been a guest a number of times in the program. And a
1: good friend of uh, both of us. Yeah,
0: we love Denny. He's going to talk about uh, what the Lord has led him to do in his own local church, which is pretty exciting. Yeah and something we, we want to uh, have other people pick up on around the yeah, country. Yeah, I hope
1: some other churches will catch the vision for this as well.
0: And then I'm very interested in what's coming up in the second half of our program. George Guthrie is going to be mm-hmm. here. He's going to talk about how we got our English-language
1: Bible. Which may sound like a little dry, but it's not. Believe me, it's an exciting story. No, he'll make that so interesting, and and what he's the person who needs to explain that to us. Who uh, a person who's a commentary writer who really has done his work, his homework, as Bill Lane would say. And
0: he'll also explain to us
1: the process of Bible translation, which yeah. is pretty exciting stuff as yeah. well. So we've
0: got a lot of ground to cover here today, on the program in the studio. And as we begin, we're going to hear you sing in a moment, Michael. But um, let's let's jump right into the word here today, can we?
1: Right. We're what we want to look at. As uh, the Old Testament character of Jacob This uh, deceitful uh, Sort of uh, How do you really feel? Oh, you know, he's (laughs) a bad guy And one of the wonderful paradoxes Is that this is a guy Though he is a a deceiver And a a person who lies And tricks people to get the things he wants Out of life God has decided he's going to bless this man Go figure He has an amazing life, yeah (laughs) And uh, we're going to listen to a song called Asleep on Holy Ground, which is based on two passages uh the first is in uh the at, the at the end of uh 28 in Genesis where uh Jacob has this wonderful dream. God grants this despicable person this amazing dream of Jesus, really the, this ladder all the way back in Genesis. All the way back in Genesis, this ladder with which with its base on on the earth and its uh the top of the ladder in the clouds, angels of God ascending and descending on this ladder, which is uh a marvelous vision of of who Jesus is. But the main uh, passage I want to look at is the passage in uh, 32, where he wrestles with God. All right, we'll do that.
0: We'll read the text here in just a moment, yeah. but shall we hear the song first? Sure. All right, Michael is ready at the piano here in the studio. This is called A Sleep on Holy Ground.
2: A stone for a pillow as hard as his head He slept on holy ground The dreaming deceiver he dreamt of a ladder The gates of heaven open wide, revealing the divine. As he wrestled with a man The unearthly power of his beloved opponent Made Jacob understand That the wrestling was the way The struggle was the sign He limped away his lesson learned Now Israel was divine. He limped away on holy ground, awakened from the dream. He learned the costly lesson from the way of the Nazarene. That pains the path to blessing, love will fight us to be found. And God remains a dream to those
1: who sleep on.
0: Well, that comes right from the text we're looking at here today, Michael, in the studio with the song, Asleep on Holy Ground. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's Genesis chapter 32 is where we'd like to go first, right? Right,
1: and a passage of uh, Jacob wrestling with the angel, but this is a very special angel. This is a a person we refer to as the angel of the Lord. Mm who, when he appears in the Old Testament, speaks first person for God. So a lot of us believe this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, what the theologians called a a Christophany, Hmm. Uh, a theophany as appearance of God, a Christophany. Appearance of the person of Jesus. I've
0: heard different opinions about that, but you're pretty pretty firm
3: on what uh, you feel, well, about what to you me, believe.
1: To me, it makes it, it makes perfect sense. Uh, this this person will appear um, to to stop Abraham from offering Isaac, and he will say, "Now I know you won't withhold your only son from me." Hmm. He'll appear to Manoah, uh the father of Samson. Sa- similar sort of language, and every time people see this person, as we'll see Jacob does, great fear seizes them because they say, "I've seen God." And yet I live, because the idea in the Old Testament is if you see God face to face, that, that, That's ex- it. That's the that end. experience is going to kill you. Yeah. And uh, the same thing happens with Jacob, this wonderful story. Why don't you read it for us, Wayne, starting in verse 22. All right, this is Genesis
0: 32. Yeah. But during the night, Jacob got up and sent his two wives, two concubines, and 11 sons across the Jabbok River. After they were on the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn. When the man saw that he couldn't win the match, he struck Jacob's hip and knocked it out of joint at the socket. Then the man said, "'Let me go, for it is dawn.' But Jacob panted, "'I will not let you go unless you bless me.' "'What is your name?' the man asked. He replied, "'Jacob.' "'Your name will no longer be Jacob,' the man told him. "'It is now Israel, "'because you have struggled with both God and men and have won.' "'What is your name?' Jacob asked him." Why do you ask, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun rose as he left Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. That is why even today the people of Israel don't eat meat from near the hip in memory of what happened that night.
1: Isn't that interesting? (laughs) This image of Jacob limping away. After having encountered God, I mean, that, that's not our concept. We encounter God and we're empowered or something like that. But here he is, th- this, this man who becomes Israel the one who struggles with God, and Israel has struggled with God ever since. And he limps away from his experience, having encountered Jesus. Who, but he wouldn't let go until God blessed him. It's, it's a wonderful story. It, it, well, how do you feel about that? I mean, is that, is, is that part of Jacob's personality? And... It is. Well, you, we know from, the, from his experience with Esau, Jacob was always trying to get the blessing, right? right? right. He tricks Esau. In fact, he's on his way now to make peace with Esau, Mm -hmm, his brother, mm -hmm. who he has tricked out of all these things all his life. And uh, one of the interesting things, when he meets Esau, he still remembers this experience he had there at the fort of the Jabbok. And when he sees Esau and realizes that Esau is going to forgive him, he looks at Esau and he says, seeing your face, it's like seeing the face of God, hmm. and to me, that's another indication that this person he wrestled with is really uh, a representative or is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, because he 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 sees in the forgiving face of his brother the face of God. He understands that God is a person who has forgiven him, who loves him in spite of his deceitfulness, in spite of the lies that he is told, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Hmm. Uh, the things that he doesn't know, and there seems to be a lot of things that Jacob doesn't know and understand, he understands that the only place he's going to get a blessing that really matters is from this person who has knocked his hip out of joint, hmm. which is a pretty painful thing to yeah, experience. And let's try to picture this. This t- was an all-night wrestling match. I mean, It, it he was. He must have been exhausted. I mean, Frederick Beegner describes this w- w- wonderfully in his book about Jacob, and he, he talks about how, you know, it's pitch black. You know, he... All he you know he smells the breath of this person you know he feels sort of this sweaty body that's rest, wrestling with him through the night. It must have been a terrifying experience, and then even more terrifying realizing he's seen God, hmm. he's wrestled with God, and and he 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 uh, sanctifies the place by giving it the name you know Peniel. I've hmm. seen the face of God, and hmm. yet I live. Hmm. But all this is a wonderful uh, parable. Uh, for us who struggle with God, who we must realize sometimes when we struggle with God, we're going to leave that experience with a limp, as it were, Mm. because it is... It will never be the same. It will never be the same. And at the same time, there's a woundedness that we experience when we draw near and struggle with God. It's not all a picnic on a green lawn the Mm. way we want it to be. Uh, If God is the person the Bible proclaimed him to be because he is so awesome and powerful, uh, when we engage with him... Uh, it can be a wounding experience. In fact, it often is. And this, But this this limp that we often carry with us for the rest of our life is God's intention. I mean, Paul says it's through our weakness that, mm-hmm. that God demonstrates yeah. his uh, that power. Paul had that thorn in the flesh. And yeah. Paul had that, yeah, and that was sort of a limp, I think, that mm-hmm. he had for the rest of his life. So yeah. it's not simply this very thin, uh, shallow American picture of Oh, you know, I'm leading this glorified life, and my life, you know, it's just one blessing after another. If I can
0: just get close enough to God, then all my problems are solved, and I I won't have to worry about anything.
1: That's right. But if you're like if you're like Jacob, and I think the Bible wants us to be like Jacob in this. If we really want to know God, if we really want to see His face, there is a wrestling that uh, we're going to be involved with. Right now, I'm studying Lament. I think Lament is another area where we wrestle with God. God, why have you hidden your face from me? Uh, Where are you asleep when I need you? you the most, that's when you've been the farthest from helping me. I mean, that experience of God in a fallen world is a wrestling match, and it, and it I think it endures for the rest of our lives. But thank the Lord we have this person, Jesus, who has entered into the yep. struggle with us, yep. uh, and l- like he did with, uh, here with Jacob. Mm-hmm. He enters into this wrestling match with us, and he blesses us in the process. It's an amazing story. How
0: about the business of the names? Um, Jacob being renamed mm-hmm. Israel and Jacob asking for his name and so on.
1: Well, a, a new name uh, in the Bible means a new life. Uh, it meant that for Abraham. It meant, meant it for Peter when Jesus yes. gives Peter his right. new title. A new name means a new life. Jacob means the one who deceives, the one who grasps the heel. Hmm. And I think what happens is Jacob is moved into a new experience in his walk with God. Now he's going to be not just the one who grabs the heel. He's going to be the one who wrestles with God hmm. and his descendants of whom we are, his spiritual descendants. We are you know spiritually Israel Uh, We're going to do the same thing if we're going to be faithful, Mm -hmm. not just discount God, not just put God in some theological box, which so many Christians in America do. Oh, these these are the, 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 the attributes of God, and we'll simply define him by these attributes. He's simply this theological person who sits on a throne. Is he that, Wayne, or is he the person who comes down off the throne, enters our experience, wrestles with us, and then blesses us in
0: the prospect. This is certainly one of those seminal moments in Scripture. But yeah. again, the lesson for us
1: is that it's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to be perfect. And, and I think the lesson, the deeper lesson is in engage with God. Mm. Grab a hold of God mm. and, and say, I'm not going to let you go until you, know, you show me your face. And, and for us, I think that means seeing the face of Jesus.
0: Well, Michael, in response today, let's pray together about yeah. this. Lord, thank you for this lesson to us today of the fact that we need to grab hold and struggle and we will be better people because of your um, engagement with us in this way. So, Father, thank you for this lesson.
2: Hmm.
1: Lord, I pray as well. I agree with Wayne and I pray as well that, that um, we would um, see you come down off Uh, this throne that we have placed you on not your true throne in heaven but this theological um, narrow box That we put you in We ask Lord Jesus That you would come down Off that throne That you would engage uh, In our lives you, you, you did engage Through the incarnation And now we ask Lord That you would come And you would grab hold Of our lives And we would promise Lord That we won't let go mm-hmm. Until we see your face Give us a new name That defines who we really are Change us And give us a new life In you Lord Jesus You will never leave us Or forsake us
0: This is one of our favorite people to invite to the studio. Pastor Denny Denson, welcome back.
3: Thank you, Wayne. It's good to be here again.
0: Michael's pastor. We say Pastor Denson. That's because he is pastor. Yes. And And shepherd in every sense of the word. Hey, Denny, last time we talked, um, you had been invited by the president to a discussion group where you talked about uh, the fellowship of the empty hands here in franklin tennessee correct and since that time you've been invited to the white
3: house itself yes uh uh, just a few weeks ago after his return trip from africa got a call to to come to the white house so that he could discuss the faith-based initiatives and so Mm -hmm. we were Privilege to be there for that discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You know, when the president took that trip to Africa, the images came back to us of him visiting the actual sites where the slave ships were loaded right. with their cargo for America. Right. You've been in some of those places, Yes.
3: You? Uh, we, we had the privilege a few years ago to go to WIDA, uh, which, too, has a gate of no return, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a very emotional uh, time. Uh, people have no idea you know, how that grips one's heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah the, what was the, it was the tree of no return, forgetfulness. Forgetfulness.
1: Yeah. You walked around the tree Two, seven times. Seven times, right. And what was the prayer was that you would just forget your home? Or... Right. Wow. Right. You
3: walk around mm-hmm. the tree seven times. Uh, then you enter through the, through the gate of no return. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow.
0: Well, Danny, we invited you to come to the studio today, Michael, because pastor here is involved uh, along with uh, many others in the church and I say many others in the church. It's not that large a church, is it?
3: No, no, it's not. We, so, we're roughly about 225, 225 members. So right? what we're going to talk about
0: today could be done by just about anybody who's listening right now.
3: Yes. Well, what, what it is, Wayne, I, I was praying and just asking the Lord, you know, why is it we are not able to reach uh, the people? Uh, we're not bringing people into the kingdom at the rate that i thought we should have and the holy spirit just brought to mind that uh, it said that denson you know your, your church might just be a church of planters we might be a church of waterers or we might be a church of reapers mm-hmm. but every time we went out we went out to reap mm-hmm. and so the the lord has just given the vision that we need to change the spiritual climate in in the neighborhood in the area and uh the way it has been given to me is that we will have a spearhead group. We will take a small section, a small segment of the community, go out to spend three months there to get to build relationships, to, to know what the people' needs are, to just go in to serve them. We're not uh, going in particularly to reap, but we're going in to serve. Mm-hmm. Our thing is going to be how can we serve you? What can we do to make your life better?
0: It's not going to be. Please come to the service on Sunday.
3: No, it it is not going to be that. It's uh, because we've got folk, we got elderly who probably need people to pick up medications for them, Hmm. and and these kinds of. So, we what the spearhead group will do will go out and make the contact. They will go out and make contact, get names. Once we leave, once we enter into the area. Once we leave that area, we'll know birthdays, we'll know anniversaries. <laughs> mm-hmm. In other words, we're going out to build relationships. That's what the spearhead group will do. Then we will have a follow-up group. What the follow-up group will do, this is even while we're in the area, the follow-up group will make phone calls. In other words, they will hear from someone from the church at least once a week. Someone from the church will be calling, what can we do, What? how can we serve you, and then we've got a prayer team that will be praying for the needs, even though the spearhead group will be praying on site. The the, the prayer team will be praying for that area. They will do prayer walks and, and, and these kinds of things. And so this is a vision that God has given me mm-hmm. rather than and if if we reap uh, from some harvest from this great, if we if we're able to water some, it's great. And if we plant some seeds, it's great. We, in other words, we we we're going to try to live out the gospel in the presence of people, rather than going to them with the book, saying, "Well, this is what the Lord says." Why not show people what 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 mm. what Christianity is all about? Mm. And so, this is a vision, and, and and it's fairly new. It's it's still on the drawing board. Uh, uh, it 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 has been presented to to a a small segment of the church at at this point. Uh, it is still in the the birthing stage, and uh uh the 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 deacons and that they they've really caught the vision, and so we, we hopefully within the next couple of weeks we'll be ready to go with it
0: you know michael I've been doing some reading about vision casting recently, and true spiritual vision casting is it's not um, it's not the leader or the pastor's dream it's him listening for god's voice. And then inviting people to come follow God mm-hmm. Denny, that's what you're
3: doing well well you know if if you recall- cor- correctly i think uh the latter part of last year we had a uh uh i was here, I was privileged to be here with you uh, brothers, and you asked me what did uh what did I have for the church for the coming year hmm. and i think uh my reply to that was. To learn to hear God, yeah. and I think I've reached that point.
1: Yeah, this this only came after you'd had a a, a, a specific amount of time in listening prayer, right? I yes, and you you basically retreated yes. and came back with this vision. Yes.
3: Yeah. Yes, that, that's that's what it that's what it was all about.
0: So you're you're in the middle of this now. I mean, in the middle of sharing what you feel God would have your church do, Denny, and so you're inviting people to come.
3: Yes, follow. Well, well, well the the thing that the thing that I, I I'm basically in prayer about now is Lord, help me to cast this vision to your people, mm. the way you have etched it in my heart and mind. I, I want to be able when I cast it, when I give it to them, I want. I want them to be able to really catch the vision. And
0: that is so key. You are... You are the embodiment of the vision. You're right, doing it, right. and and that's a leader. That's a spiritual leader. Michael.
1: Well, and what strikes me too is that you you've been doing something like this on your own for some time in the community. I mean, right. Daniel will, uh, will will set a day, set aside one day in the week to just walk the streets and to connect with people. Right. So you've you've already got some uh, some roots sort of
3: out into the community. Right. But you know, sur- surprising you uh, mention that. But uh, you know, the the Lord just kind of told me that I. That in a sense, what what I had done is is not taken the church to the place where I know it needs to be, mm-hmm. because, you know, street ministry, being in the street, uh, dealing with those who are underprivileged and, and, and are deprived has always been a strong suit. Mm-hmm. of my ministry mm-hmm. and but yet i have not cast the church yeah. in that vision you know yeah.
0: we didn't we didn't talk about the neighborhood that this is going to take place in we've talked before about where the church is in right. franklin tennessee talk right. about the surrounding neighborhood
3: well, well you know well first of all you anybody knew anything about franklin tennessee it, it's probably the ninth richest county in the united states and my church sits in an area where those who are deprived and underprivileged lives uh uh, right, uh, I call it the gateway to the ghetto. Housing mm. projects, uh, a lot of devastation, and and God has placed us there in a strategic position where we can make a difference in people's lives. And I think this vision that He has given me will do that. Amen. But mm. but I I think I think in the past we've made the mistake of trying to cover the whole area. You know, just yeah. go knocking, and, and and you know how can I help a person? When I have not built a relationship with them, so we, we're going to be about building relationships. We're mm. we're going to be about knowing what people' problems are, what they what their likes and dislikes are.
0: Don't you look forward, Michael, to having Denny come back and share some of these stories when these relationships have been built and lives are attracted to the gospel because of it?
3: Well, you, you know, and it, the area where we are is not such a large area, but I, I'm I'm thinking that even in that area, it's going to take us anywhere between a year or a year and a half to work because mm-hmm. what we want to do we don't we want enough people that we can nurture and 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 love them and meet their needs you know without being stretched stretched Stretch, yeah. Yeah. yeah Yeah. amen and so this is what well, we want to do
0: we plan to be here don't we michael a year a year and a half from now we'll have them back and yeah we'll be here <laughs> hey, <laughs> unless would... the lord comes back yeah of course <laughs>
1: michael would you pray uh, for this outreach yeah Father we come to you as uh, as your children who who long to be made wise by the wisdom of your word and i thank you for denny for mm-hmm. uh his friendship and for um for the fact that you've you've used everything in his life to bring him to the point where he is now mm-hmm. uh and that he has uh, been given uh, a burden and a love and a heart for uh his community I thank you for all the work that's that's gone before. Uh, I know the the days that he spent walking the streets and getting to know people and learning uh, where they are and what their needs are. Now, Lord, I pray that you would give him uh, uh, just an, an unusual amount of your presence and your wisdom as he presents this vision to the church and to the community pray for the men and women who will be, first of all, praying mm-hmm. uh, for this vision. Uh, I pray for the people that are going to be putting uh, hands and feet to this vision as mm-hmm. they go into people's homes mm-hmm. and and uh, establish relationships and listen. I pray that you would give them a, an unusual ability to listen and to love the people by listening to what their needs are and to where they are. Um, and Father, I pray that as this vision uh, prospers, that you would give Denny the, the the opportunity to share it with other churches mm-hmm. and with other congregations so that we can take this as a model, Lord Jesus, of what you did. You, you walked the streets. Mm-hmm. You got to know what people's needs were. And as you fulfilled those needs and and gave of your gifts, Lord, you also gave yourself. So I pray that this would be... Um, the incarnation of uh, simply of what you did, uh, and that First Missionary Baptist Church would be uh, become the leader in spreading this this vision all over Franklin and Nashville, and then and and that that the ripples of this would go out into the whole country. Bless your servant uh, Denny, and uh, pray that you would be with him as he as the as he leads us in this new vision. And we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen.
0: Amen. And you've been listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. We're coming up to the halfway point of this broadcast. Before pausing for a few messages, I'd like to remind you to get in touch with us. The email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. For more about this program and Michael's ministry, join us on the web at www.michaelcard.com. We hope you'll take advantage of the resources we've developed to help you grow in your walk with Christ. Again, that web address is michaelcard.com. In the second half of our program, Dr. George Guthrie joins us to talk about the amazing story of the English Bible and he'll give us a behind-the-scenes look at the making of a modern translation as well. All this and much more after this break on the Moody Broadcasting Network. We are in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. And Michael, joining us now is good friend, Dr. George Guthrie's with us today. That's right, from Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. George is Perry Professor of Bible, Chair of the Department of Christian Studies, the author of Commentaries published by Zondervan on Hebrews, and an upcoming one on James. So. This is a this is a brain we have here with us today, Michael. (laughs) Well, no, no. Let me
1: tell you, I know him. This is a heart that uh, that has a pretty a pretty good brain hooked up to him too.
0: So, welcome, George. Thanks. It's great to be back. I agree. Nice to have you back with us here in the studio. We've had some good times in the Word together here. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for driving in.
4: Well, it's always good to come up. Uh, Just the fellowship with you guys is is worth the drive. So,
0: we're going to uh, talk about the Bible, but we're going to talk about it in a way that I don't think we have before in the program, Michael.
1: No, I don't think we've had uh, the the resource in, in someone like George to be able to ask the kind of questions that, that we have planned to ask mm-hmm. him for this program. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, uh, we're appreciative that you would come and help us out as we try to understand uh, where we got our English Bible from. How did it come to us? And uh, how it's translated, because yeah. there's a lot of new translations
0: out there. We'd like to know about the process. So, shall we start with the history, George?
4: Sure. Uh, just to kind of put things in a broader context, today... There are about 6,800 living languages in the world. Um, In the year 2000, 371 of those languages had the whole Bible, Mm. uh, and another 1,862. Uh, languages and dialects had at least parts of the Bible. Mm-hmm.
0: So even after all these years of great Bible translation, Wycliffe and others, we still have got a long way to go. There's still a I?
4: tremendous amount of work to, mm. to do out there in the world. And there are a lot of good people out on the field who have committed their lives to uh, mm. expanding those borders, getting the scripture into people's heart language. mm mm-hmm. Bruce Metzger points out that the church was slow in in getting to the task of translating the Bible widely. By the year uh, AD 600, the four Gospels had been translated only into Latin, Gothic, Syriac, Coptic, Armenian, Georgian, Ethiopic, and Sogdian. Oh, you know two or so, three of those languages, right, Michael?
1: <laughs> yeah, I was reading a Sogdian text the other day.
4: <laughs> right. Uh, but if you go ahead about uh, 850 years to the time of Gutenberg, 1456, uh, then even at that time, only 33 languages had a translation of any portion of the Bible. Wow. So it took a tremendous amount of time for uh, this process of giving the church the Bible in various translations uh, moving forward. And
1: there were all kinds of different barriers, right? Not just linguistic barriers, but, barriers, but there were theological barriers, right? The, for a long time, the church thought it should just stay in Latin, right? And That's someone right. like Luther, you know, steps on everyone's toes by putting it into German. That's right. Yeah.
4: Well, from the time that the uh, Vulgate came out, Jerome translated uh, kind of a standard latin edition for the next thousand years that was the bible of the church Hmm. for the most part and so uh when you have that kind of tradition then there's a a tremendous amount of resistance to uh to moving to other kinds of of translations
1: Hmm. what happened though in cultures uh like england and germany when when all of a sudden you know I, I i read about a shep. there was a shepherd in england who had received a new testament in english and it had only been in latin up to that point and he wrote something in the fly a uh, uh, flyleaf about what it meant to have the now to have the bible in his own language and how he was fearful that it was going to be taken away from him mm. i mean did, did the culture's radically mm. change when the common man got the bible in his own in his own
4: uh, language well let me tell you about uh two men who brought the english translation forward to to the people for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first was John Wycliffe. Now Wycliffe was not translating from Greek and Hebrew, but in the latter 1300s he was translating from the Latin yeah. into uh, the common language of the English people at that time. Uh, he is sometimes referred to as the morning star of the Reformation because mm-hmm. he wanted to give the people uh, the scriptures he uh he wrote for instance the highest service to which man may attain on earth is to preach the law or the word of god but now priests are found in taverns and hunting and playing at their tables instead of learning god's law and preaching hmm. so he was deeply burdened that uh even those who were uh priests in his day Uh, were really not giving attention to uh, the Scriptures. In fact, many of them could not read Latin very well, Mm -hmm. and so they were not feeding the people, and there was mass ignorance Hmm. uh, in the culture because people were starving for the Hmm. Word of God. What did Wycliffe do then, George? Well, uh, it it finally uh, dawned on him that the way to transform the culture was by bringing the common person into touch with god's word on a regular basis and uh... so he got a group of students around him Uh, one of the main ones for instance was john Purvey. And they began the process of translating uh, the Scriptures into English. Now, this wasn't received really well uh, by uh, some of uh, Wycliffe's critics. For instance, one critic wrote, Christ gave his gospel to the clergy and the learned doctors of the church Mm. so that they might give it to the laity and to weaker persons (laughs) according to the message of the season and personal need. But Master John Wycliffe translated the gospel from Latin into the English the angle, not the angel language. Hmm. Wow. And Wycliffe, by thus translating the Bible, made it the property of the masses and common to all and more open to the laity and even to women who were able to read. Wow. And so the pearl of the gospel is thrown before swine. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> you said there were two names. Wycliffe was key. Who was the second? Well, I, I'm uh, guessing Tyndale. Tyndale. Right. OK,
4: that's right. Uh, Tyndale came along uh, a little over a 100 years later. And uh, by this time, uh, mass printing had become available, and he had a vision for translating from the Hebrew and Greek into English for the common person. Uh, He he said, I want to make the boy that drives the plow in England know more of Scripture than many a man of learning.
1: Mm. So
4: he was driven to... uh, to to bring the language to the common people we still have
0: copies they're rare and expensive i assume but we still have copies of the tyndale bible correct
4: that's right now he didn't translate the whole bible he got the new testament done and then uh, the pentateuch and i believe it was jonah in the old testament finished um but it's interesting to go back and read parts of his translation because he was trying to put it in the language of the common people for Mm. instance in Genesis 39-2, when the serpent speaks to Eve, uh, the serpent says, Tush, you shall not die. <laughs> and then uh, Joseph is called a lucky fellow. And in Exodus fifteen four, Pharaoh's captains are called jolly captains. So, you know, he was trying to uh, bring the Scriptures into the language of the common person. Now, he paid dearly for it. Uh, shortly after his time, uh, the the English Bible began to be mass-produced, even with the blessing of the crown. But uh, Tyndale was tracked down, he was terribly persecuted, and uh, simply because he wanted to put the Bible into English, he was burned at the. He was strangled to death and burned at the stake mm. for translating the scriptures into English.
0: Well, the next time we pick up the scriptures and just treat them so lightly, think about just the human toll through yeah. the years of people that, that have provided us what we have. Mm. Uh, and by the way, we know uh, for the professor here, Michael, that we're really skipping through an awful lot of important information here. I think our purpose is just kind of whet the listener's appetite for this right. for this topic. And there's certainly books that can be read that will fill in a lot of the details. Here.
4: Sure. Well, let me give you one, one more example just in this history that's it's a very important moment is, of course, the translation of the King James Version, mm-hmm. uh, which came out in 1611. Uh, there were a number of important uh, translations between the time of Tyndale and the King James. For instance, the Geneva Bible was really uh, the first study Bible hmm. that we had. Uh, we have a copy of that in the Center for Biblical Studies at Union. And it even has daily Bible readings, uh, a chart for daily Bible wow. readings in the front of the Bible. How novel. And all kinds of... you <laughs> There know, are no m-
0: new ideas. That's right. <laughs> That's
4: right. Maps and charts. Uh, so there were a number of important Bibles that came out. But the King James, of course... Uh, was, was a very, very important one, because uh, up to that time, England the English people, uh, in terms of, of the, the church in England, uh, they were very divided uh, as far as which translations were the best. And so King James um, got a vision to bring together the best scholars of the land and to have them uh, do kind of a master work of translating the bible into into English
0: well, I suspect it's true of you too as well, but I mean, I grew up with the king james version right you t- you did as well right
4: i I did until I was in high school, okay. and I know at least at that time I switched over to a new american okay. standard but yeah. but there are many many people uh for for instance for Pentecostal pastors today still forty one percent I think of Pentecostal pastors. Uh, use the King James Version as their mm. primary text when they're preaching.
0: Sometimes when you call a verse of Scripture to memory, uh, I mean, in my case, it's King James. You know? Really? Who hath believed our report and to whom is the Lord of the Arm revealed? You know, Isaiah 53, you know, that old, old English.
4: Right. What a lot of people don't uh, realize is that the King James Version was not a fresh translation from the Greek and Hebrew. Uh, if you can go back, and on the Internet, you can find a preface to the original King James Version. Hmm. And uh, in that preface, the uh, the translators wrote this. They said, Truly, good Christian reader, we never thought from the beginning that we should need to make a new translation, nor yet to make of a bad one a good one. For then, uh, and they, they go on and talk a little bit more about some other things, but then they say this, But to make a good one better... Or, out of many good ones, one principal good one, not justly to be accepted against, that hath been our endeavor, that our mark, mm. so many people don 't realize that the king james was uh, was building on the traditions of uh, the English translations from a hundred years before. In fact Tyndale. that's right. Tyndale's translation had a profound influence. And he on paid the with King his King James version. What? That's right. Yeah.
0: Well again there is much more here. We're gonna pause for a moment and and turn a corner and talk about Bible translation today because there's a lot of helpful information that George can share with us about that, Michael. Mm-hmm. But uh, I hope our listeners will go and read more about this. I think this is fascinating. And mm-hmm. I've I've learned some things here today, George. Thank you.
4: Well, a very good book um, is Bruce Metzger's book, for instance, on the history of the English Bible. You can just go and find that at Mm. Amazon.com, and that will Mm. give you a lot of interesting information about the history of the English Bible.
0: Speaking of the Bible, let's ask Michael to sing about the book now. As a matter of fact, that's the title of this song, isn't it? That's right. It's called The Book. In the studio, here's Michael Card.
2: In their fiery words and rhymes In the pages of the patriarchs We can read on every line Of the kindness of commandments And of all he undertook That before we called he answered us In the pages of the book Key, it is the door more than ink and cloth and page. These wine preserved in blood and tears to speak to each new age. Come read the very thoughts of God, hear what wisdom has to say. For in three thousand years and more it hasn't dated a day. And the pages of the book. Of the meaning of love. So open up your heart and soul To the call and the command Hold a vast and priceless treasure In the palm of just one hand And no true transformation As you take it up and look At the flesh and bone and blood of truth In the pages of the book And the pages of the book Are turned with trembling awe As we witness wonders there That only faithful saw We go as deep as we can go Look as hard as we can look But we only scratch the surface Of the meaning of the book As we only scratch the surface of the meaning of the book.
0: Michael Card, along with violinist Shanoa Sykes and percussionist Ken Lewis. Michael, thank you. It's called The Book,
1: and that's what we're talking about here in the studio today. And yeah, We've looked at the, the history of how we... Uh, Came to hold in our hands this English Bible, but now we want to look more specifically at the process of translating. And, and uh, George, you've been involved in a number of uh, of the new translations. I mean, what are the some of the ones you've worked on?
4: Well, I I was very privileged to be asked to uh, work on the revision of the New Living Translation, which has been going on for the last few years. The NLT came out in 1996, uh, produced by a group of about ninety scholars. And uh, Tyndale, uh, in the last few years, has been begun working on a revision of the NLT, trying to make it even better, even stronger.
0: This is Tyndale House Publishers, that, which right. bears the name of the Tyndale, that's William right. Tyndale we talked about earlier. Mm, that's yeah.
4: right. Um, and so I worked with uh, Grant Osborne, for instance, mm. on the Gospel of Mark. And then more recently have also done uh, some study notes for them for the NLT Study Bible, which will be coming out mm-hmm. in a couple of years. Um, and then I've, I've served as a consultant on the uh, Holman Christian Standard uh, Bible, as well as the English Standard Version, wow. uh, specifically on Hebrews, to analyze their translation of mm-hmm. that book.
0: Well. Um, open uh, uh, a little uh, room here for us. Let us let us peek in on the work of translation, George. Because uh, is it a is it a secret process? I mean, we kind of look at it in, in a little bit on the mysterious
4: side. Well, I, I think it's a wonderfully exciting process, and in line with what we do here, it's also very much a community process. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you go back to the King James Version we were talking about before, it was by teams of scholars who were brought mm-hmm. together and they analyzed each other's work and that type of thing, and uh, it happens that way very much today. I, I'm excited about Bible translation because it is a mixture of art and science, hmm. uh, because you have the technical side where you're you're needing to understand uh, what the original author was intending to say. You've always got to stay tethered to that, don't you? Absolutely, absolutely, but then... Uh, you've got to express that truth in a way that people can understand. Yeah, and so that that becomes the artistic side. How do we put this in words uh, that will be understandable to people?
0: Well, George, as we dig just a little deeper here for the next several minutes about Bible translation, I guess the main question is why? You know, what, what, is, what excites you about it and why do we do it? Why do we take the time and the scholarly effort to do it?
4: Well, I mean, you know the obvious answer is this is the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, god 's uh, choice of how He would reveal uh, truth to us in terms of of the written scriptures. Um, and, you know, the, the scriptures didn't come down to us. They didn't float down from heaven in some kind of heavenly language. Uh, God did not choose to, uh, you know, communicate directly to our brains in some way, kind of the, uh, you know, the Vulcan mind meld or something like that. Uh, what God chose is God chose human language. Mm-hmm. Uh, Calvin said that uh, that God speaks to us in baby talk. You know, he condescended mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to come down yeah. and communicate with us, God's in... word and
1: man's words. That's right. Yeah.
4: That's right. And 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 that being so, um you have also the challenge of communicating, of understanding human language. Mm-hmm. Because even in interpersonal relationships, like when we talk to our wives or yep. even people we're close to, uh, because it is human language, uh, it is not exhaustive. Mm-hmm. So when I say, uh, I love Pat, <laughs> it doesn't tell you everything that love means. It doesn't tell you everything about my wife, Pat. But it, it can be effective in accomplishing things in relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is also open to misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why we have dialogues about theology and, and all of these kinds of things. And as you said,
0: community, that's where community comes in as you... You share ideas back and forth and debate, and
4: that's right. Well, even if you look back to the early church, uh, the teacher's role in dialogue in the early church was was vitally important. The proclaimers of the word of God to have discussions about what the word means. You know, this this was going on from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, the the reason why we have to do that is because God chose to give us His truth in human language.
1: Mm. Well doctor Lane used to tell us that every translator has a point of view. Uh there's there's a, a presupposition that that you translate from that for instance, this is going to be the most accurate word for word, you know, rendition of the Hebrew or the Greek, or this is gonna be the most uh Uh, available? I mean, did you have to go through that process of choosing for yourself, or did the editors tell you this is our point of view? Or how do you arrive at that?
4: Yeah, well, if you can imagine a spectrum, um, there are basically two primary approaches that are used in translation of the Bible. The first is called a formal equivalence approach, which is more the Mm -hmm. word-for-word type of approach. the, The emphasis there is on staying as close to the wording of Mm -hmm. the original texts as possible. Uh, And and I say that as possible because you can't give a truly literal translation of the Greek and Hebrew. Because
1: it'd still be unreadable. That's right. Even in English words. That's right.
4: But some of the uh, translations that are more formal equivalents would be the King James Version, New American Standard, uh, the RSV and the ESV would both be on that end of the spectrum. And and what you... uh, what you come out with in those kinds of translations is uh, specificity as far as you know the, the terms that are used and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. On the other end of the spectrum, you have what is called a functional equivalence approach, or some call it a dynamic equivalence approach. And this is a thought-for-thought type of translation, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the formal equivalence uh the emphasis is on exact wording. and functional equivalence, the emphasis is on readability mm-hmm. for as many people as possible to, to just be able to read it and clearly understand what uh, what is being said.
0: I've got to ask for an example. Okay. You, you know I was going to ask Yeah, that.
4: <laughs> the, the functional equivalence translations would be uh, the New Living Translation, yeah. uh, today's English version, the New Century version. Those would be some of those on that end of the spectrum. And then you have those that are in the middle uh, like the NIV and the TNIV and the Holman Christian Standard, which uh, say what they're trying to do is um, they're trying to strike the balance mm-hmm. between those two ends of the spectrum to to be balanced between uh, the exactness of wording and readability.
1: Hmm. Well, again, I wish we were in George's classroom, don't
4: mm-hmm. you, Michael, where yep.
0: we could sit and talk about yeah. these things for hours. I, I
1: have been in George's classroom, and believe me, it's a, he's a wonderful teacher. Huh.
0: Uh, we don't have uh, the time that we really need to do this justice, but we have hopefully whetted the appetite of listeners to want to know more about the Bible that we hold.
1: As uh, as we end our time together, George, uh, could you could you remind us again of those two sources that would be helpful uh, in understanding where we got uh, the English Bible from and, and what the translation uh, process is like? You had two sources, I think.
4: In terms of the history of the English Bible, uh, I think Bruce Metzger's book, uh, is is very good on, on that history, and you can find it in the titles, obvious. There's a new book that has just come out uh, called The Challenge of Bible Translation, uh, which is also very, very helpful uh, in terms of the big picture of how all this uh, works and uh, the challenges involved in translation, but also the, uh, the tremendous uh, role that translators play in the life of the church. And let, let me just ask, the listeners to pray for those Mm. who are involved in this process, because uh, you have people out there on the mission field who are doing this with people who do not have the Scripture in their language, Mm. and then you have others who are involved in the ongoing process of uh, translation, you know, with the major publishing houses here in the United States, and and if you stop and think about it, those translations are going to wind up in the hands of people who have never heard the gospel, hmm. who need a clear presentation of the word, and so the the whole endeavor is very important. Thanks again for helping
1: us out on this issue, and and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, okay. George. Thank you. And
0: before we end this week's session here in the studio with Michael Card, I want to remind you that the information about the books George mentioned can be found online at www.michaelcard.com. And you're always welcome to come by and check out what's going on with Michael's music and teaching ministry. Find out about the features available for those who become members of a section we call The Community. Some of the other great resources we've developed are the new publications called The Community Magazine and From the Study, Michael's monthly e-journal. To go back and listen to this broadcast again, go to our radio page for the audio archive. CD copies or printed transcripts of this or any in-the-studio program are available to order. Don't forget to learn more about Michael's newest book on the emotional life of Simon Peter titled A Fragile Stone. And please take a moment and send us your thoughts about this program. Here's an email we received from Jim who said, I was driving from Sacramento to the middle of Nevada over the weekend. I never expected to hear such a fantastic radio show out in the desert. Well, no matter where you listen, send us your comments, Bible questions, and prayer requests to in the studio at michaelcard.com. Our producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.